Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to athingortwohq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at athingortwohq. We are really, really excited about this episode. It is brought to you in partnership with one of our favorite ever sponsors, would you say? Wow, totally, totally. I think that's fair to say. Projector, which I think if you've listened to this podcast, you probably know about Projector at this point because we love it and we talk about it a lot, but it's basically Google Drive for design. It is a web-based design software that makes design easy and accessible, makes collaborating on design or giving feedback on design work so much easier than it ever was before. Even if you don't know what you're doing like me, which is like extremely helpful. Well, I was going to say that I feel like for you, the thing that has been so amazing is that you can make text changes yourself, which is a constant pain point for you working and with like designers. Clear, like dumb comma changes where yes. I'm like, I don't want to like slack you or email the person and be like, um, actually there should be a comma after this or whatever. I'm like correct, constantly be correcting grammar, but I also can't let it go out in the world without the comma there. Wow. You just took this to a deeper level that I hadn't actually meditated on yet. You know, I like to meditate on projector, but like <laughs> it does remove that friction point of being like, I'm sorry, I'm being an asshole, but like yes. I, or I know there's this is an this annoying, but there's a black line on the side of this picture that I need right. to go away. But like, maybe it's not bothering everybody else. Which, and like, you know, larger discussion of like, what it is to be a woman, but like we're constantly apologizing for, you know, we're always being like, sorry, but could you just do this little thing? Right. And it's like, I could do it myself, but then I'd have to open the file and then I, and, and, and like, or I just don't know how. And it's like, no. Or then will I save it in the right place or I will, right? Do I need to rename it? Do I need it? Blah, 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 blah. We don't have to do that. And you can just figure all this out for yourself. If you're not using it yet, I don't know what you're doing. Go to projector.com slash thing or two. Like this, we spend so much time there. <laughs> that, I, we do spend that URL. So- I just, I don't know. You just really inspired me. I'm like, wow, this is truly technology that makes like relationships better. That makes it just like nicer to work with people. It's also relationship management software. (laughs) (laughs) It's wonderful. Okay. So 
because we they love us and we love them. They let us construct this sort of fantasy episode of ours where we are talking to three graphic designers slash artists who work we just love so much, specifically on the topic of design. And we hope to sort of pull together this episode that would be like a fun conversation on design, but also have some really useful takeaways around design, whether you are someone who thinks about design, does design, or just like works with designers. Slash lives in the world and encounters a lot of design because that's like all of our lives right now. You can't not be that person. I mean, I guess that's the thing, right? Like design has just catapulted into the, everything. Yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah, it, it yeah, has taken yeah. on this new centrality in everybody's life. Never more, like even more so during the pandemic, although it already had this primacy. And it's like, yeah, everybody now is forced to interact with it in this way. And it's just like, yeah, useful, useful. It's like thing. fun to think about with people who actually think about it well. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know? Um, yeah. So we're going to have three different designers on. And the first person we are talking to is Colin Smite. And we sort of got into the, like the past, present and future of design with him. And he is someone who we worked with on of a kind, like so long ago before he launched his own shop called the Sack Studio. And he's worked with tons of impressive brands and artists and musicians that like came up a ton when we talked to him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's worked with Kin Euphorics, Gossamer, Sackville & Co., 21 Savage, 818 Tequila, Used to the I People, just, we got and to Yowie. Pause here. I, and say, right, we didn't get any gossip on Kendall. So if that's what you came for, turn it off. Just you're go. not getting it. You're not just getting go. it. You're going to have to get your 818 Tequila Kendall gossip elsewhere. That's right. You can find Colin's work at culdesac.studio and you can find his genius right here. Hi, Colin. Hello. I love that you're like doodling as we're starting to talk. I feel like it really just like sets the stage of what we're about to get into. <laughs> I'm just always creating at all times just, of the day. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Here's Colin. He's always <laughs> creating. <laughs> Colin, can you tell us what's happening with color these days? I remember at some point you having a really strong opinion about what the next millennial pink is going to be. So curious to hear where you stand on that. Yeah, I mean, that's a very heavy question. And it's, I feel like at some point becomes a personal answer. I feel like it is rare that a color became so ubiquitous as pink had. There's this amazing book that I read called Collage Culture that talked about how the aesthetic of each generation would sort of be in rebellion or the sort of anti of the generation previous. So the sort of slick, clean look of the 80s was like in reaction to the back to earth sort of crunchy browns and oranges and all the vibes that you get from the 70s. So I do think that as we move away from the millennial aesthetic and Gen Z starts to have more of a say in how things look, that it is inherently going to feel less flat and templated. Mm. I mean, when you think of like the millennial vibe always had, it, it was so plug and play that the same color was used. The amount of brass that was used on fixtures and mid-century furniture and the sort of super flat illustrations that took over brands and and tech and apps and everything. I think moving away from that, everything is just going to be a little bit more chaotic in nature. And so because of that, I'm not sure that we're going to have one specific color, but I do think that like in its last breath of the millennial aesthetic, that lavender became like a really hot color, but I don't think that it's going to, I don't think it's going to stay so singular moving forward. Thankfully. So the new millennial pink is like all the colors. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all the fonts and all. Oh emojis. boy. I mean, I have opinions about the fonts please, because please I, with the fonts, please with yeah. the fonts. Yeah. My biggest pet peeve right now, and I also live in such a vacuum. So I'm sure everyone listening to this is seeing a very different Instagram and a different world than I am. Mine is so focused on design that I'm inundated with all of this to such a degree that it seems a little bit more dramatic, but the amount of new fonts that are being used right now is so nauseating. A font will come out on like a Monday and three weeks later, it's being used by brands all over the place. And Really? It's like that fast? It's so fast. And I feel like you're shooting yourself in the foot so much when you're doing that because it's the equivalent of I constantly try and relate design to cooking. And imagine if a chef was all of a sudden just throwing every classic ingredient out the window and replacing it with whatever was hot that week. It would be a really... A flavored salt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a weird yeah, mushroom powder. Yep. <laughs> totally. And like it would, you need these foundational things in order for your dishes to be interesting. And so I think people who lean as a crutch, lean on like new typefaces are inevitably shooting themselves in the foot because six months from now, it's going to look dated. And if you're plugged in enough to know where these things come from, it feels like a sort of a cheap way to arrive at a solution by just downloading a font file. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I do feel like something I keep noticing from the sort of like design news roundups I read are like this font house just got acquired and now this font place has just opened up their commercial vault to the archive. And like this, it just feels like there's so much more font news. There's font newsletters. Mm -hmm. We need like our 10,000 word New Yorker font font piece. What's (laughs) happening in the world of fonts right now? I think it just got a lot easier to make them. The the software that used to that you used to use to make a font file used to be incredibly complex. And I think it should, it is a complex process by nature, but it has been simplified to the degree that you can essentially take a pre-existing typeface and sort of warp it, make like your little like wink to it, re-export it as a file with your name on it. And that's your new font. I think that that's part of it. I do think that there's also like a, a lot of incredibly talented foundries that are making really cool stuff. I think like ABC Dynamo is a foundry that makes new fonts all the time, but they have a very specific way of doing it. Their point of view is very clear. They're also like incredibly usable fonts. They're made properly. And like my biggest pet peeve with new fonts that come out really quick that become super popular is that they're not actually usable. You know, if you're setting it in a essentially a poster setting, which is mm-hmm. a lot of the type specimens that you look at just look like gig posters, basically huge, you know, words that were put together specifically to highlight certain characters within the font family, that's very rarely what you end up needing to use design to do unless you're a poster designer. But I like the idea of it being like the new podcast that they're all getting acquired for for (laughs) lots of money because I I saw that too. Yeah. I feel like that is something we learned really quickly when starting a company and being handed over like, here's your sort of like brand assets, right? Here's the fonts, here's the logos. You quickly start to run up against like, wow, this font that is our singular brand font doesn't work at a really small scale Mm -hmm. or doesn't work at a really big scale. Or when you try to put these words together, these two letters always blend together and it's really awkward. So to me, it's crazy to think that anybody and everybody's designing a font because it feels like shoe designing or something to me where it's like you have to understand the specificities and the technicalities and and, and the way the foot works and yeah. the way words work and print works to like design a font that actually works and is successful. Yeah. And when you look at the process that founders go through to do that, it just takes an incredibly long time because they print it out at all different sizes and they proof it over and over and over and over and over I mean, that is like a surgical level of design that is super outside of my, 
you know, realm of understanding. But a lot of these things too, like it sounds really technical when we're talking about it right now. And the language that people use sometimes can turn people off from feeling like it's a conversation that has something to do with them. But all of this is in an effort for these things to come across as second nature. You'll notice when something's incorrect, even if you can't point out what it is. If you look at a piece of packaging that's designed poorly, you might not be able to circle where the error is, but it rubs off right away, no matter your level of design understanding. So the sort of subconscious level of all of this, I think is like the ultimate goal is you almost shouldn't notice. It should just feel like it always existed and it's always been there and they're serving it up in an interesting way. Colin, can we talk specifically about this idea of like, you know, Gen Z and the nostalgia coming into play and all of that? And I just would like to know, as a Hillary Duff fan, mm. how do you feel about the like 90s Y2K moment happening in design right now? I mean, it's tight. I like it. It's <laughs> funny because like it speaks so specifically to a small group of people and then also to like my parents who had to watch Disney Channel movies with us. Mm -hmm. So they get it as well. I do feel like it's probably lost on some people. But I I think the important thing with like, because what was like the classic rules? It's like every 20 years, something comes back in mm -hmm. style. I do think those gears have gotten a little like chopped and screwed because sure. we could talk about how there's like 90s trends. There's also like everyone looks like they're from the seventies also and has big totally. yellow glasses. So there's a million things from different eras. All pop music right now sounds like it was made in the eighties. Like the weekend just sounds like he's making pop music from the eighties. So it depends. I think with InDesign specifically, you do see a lot of that sort of like glossy, futuristic, you know, Xenon, the sequel, Y2K energy out in the world. I do think it's worth like talking about like what it is though, because mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. And so my theory on why the Y2K aesthetic looks the way it does is that basically everyone was designing stuff in the nineties coming out of like the early nineties. There was like Ray gun magazine and really grungy type and Swiss grit was a style that was all about like adding lots of texture to your typography and making things look messy and layered and collaged. And then all of these designers realized that we were approaching the end of 1999 and the millennium was going to happen. And it was everyone's job to decide like, oh, we're in the future now. Like everything should look futuristic. And so all of a sudden everything stopped being textured and collaged and started looking like it was made in a spaceship and everything was glossy and like icy blue and so I do think there's something funny about looking at just something as simple as a year change and seeing how culturally everyone felt the need to visualize this Moment. unrealistic move into the future at New Year's Eve. Everything became chrome and bubbly and glass. Like, it's really funny to think about. So given all of that, how do you take an approach to design when you need something to feel classic and timeless and know that it's going to endure? I mean, yeah, so that gets to like my favorite kind of design, which is stuff that looks like you've seen it before. And I feel like in school and a lot of young designers, I'm sure, deal with this is like you have this like moral dilemma of like wanting to make something original and you don't want your classmates to like point at you and acknowledge the reference point. And I think as a lot of designers get older, they start to realize that it's sort of like the Marcel Duchamp ready-made mentality of like, there's all of this incredible material in the world, whether it's furniture, design, film references, music references, whatever. 
to turn your back to all of it and claim that you're creating something in a bubble is not only impossible, but you end up coming up with these solutions that I think are harder than they need to be. So when it comes to making something classic, I think being a good image researcher and being able to understand from a conceptual standpoint, what am I trying to design? Are there concepts that we can come up with that feel inherently true to the product, to the brand, to the artist, whatever it might be? And then those concepts should turn into really deep image research so that you can essentially start to look at the history of design, photography, filmmaking, whatever, and put some dots on the map and start to connect things from different generations and mediums that have a conceptual red thread rather than just being like, I'm going to start an underwear brand and it's going to look like the seventies and every single thing is good because there's just nothing to chew on there. So I really like researching really heavily and not being afraid to just use Helvetica and Garamond if that's what gets your point across best, you know? And how are you doing that research? Um, A lot of it is, I mean, it's usually specific to the assignment. So like one good example is I I worked with this creative director, Patrice Leiter, on this packaging. Well, it was the whole sort of creative direction, design direction and rollout for an LP that this group called Joseph made. And the, the whole record alluded to driving as a metaphor for moving on to the next phase in their lives. And they kept referring back to this motif of the rearview mirror and having the keys to the car. And so the creative direction ended up being about car clubs and how it was inherently a boys club. And this is three female sisters. And so can we take the sort of grit that has only belonged to the boys in the past and flip it so that it can belong to the girls now? And sort of soften up the toughness and toughen up the softness. And anyway, once you have that sort of framework that makes sense and you can tie it back to the lyrics and it, it makes sense that you're sort of stealing from, from one generation, adding a twist to it and giving it back. Then we started to literally like look deep into like car manuals on eBay, like old Ford manuals. And we were buying things and scanning the really small type details and recreating the structures of type that were made in like a stamped piece of factory type, learning from like the decisions that other people made through design in really small instances, I think tends to be like a really cool place to create something that you wouldn't have arrived at on your own. And so it's this collective brain trust of, you know, using the history of design as like a ladder to come up with cool connections and cool ideas. And where are you looking when you want to get a sense of where the industry is headed, where like mainstream design is headed? I mean, I think the cannabis space is always interesting for that because it is still the Wild West a little bit. I think one of like the most beautiful brands ever made is Rose Los Angeles that makes the Rose Delights. The brands that are the most inspiring to me are brands where the designer or the creative director has a stake in the success of the brand beyond just getting hired for the assignment. Cause you can tell it from a mile away when someone's like intimately involved in a brand beyond just like a three week sprint to get a logo out the door, the work that they put out has so much like love and attention to detail in it. And I don't think it takes like a discerning designer's eye to be able to pick up on that. I think everyone picks up on that and might not be able to point out why it is. But brands like that, I feel, uh, by Humankind is another one. Ben Critton, who does all the work for them, is a Yale graduate. It's like an incredible designer. 
you can tell like pours his heart into making sure that everything down to the package, like liners are, are perfect. So that's where I look. Colin, thank you so much for doing this. We could go on for another days. hour. I feel like yeah, your days. answers are yeah. so good. We wanted to thank Projector again for letting us have these conversations because they are just like so, I don't know, like so interesting, especially to hear about these like source material that a capital R real designers use and all Truly, of that. It really made, made me feel inspired. And I was like, this is the process I need to be going through I for all of my stuff. And like, this is the approach we should all be taking for all of our work. I it, mean, which like all, the problem, Claire, is also that's like insane for all of the things. Insane. Um, insane. And most of the time you and I are making a like pitch deck or, or something right. that actually does not need us to look at old auto manuals to do it. And so it is mm-hmm. perfectly fine to replicate our previous pitch deck in Projector and then make edits to it. And like, I know suppose. that all our fonts are there and whatever and colors and like, <laughs> right? I suppose. Yeah, I think so. Um, also, just to plug Projector more, they have all these templates you can use and just replicate. Check them out at projector.com slash a thing or two. Okay, next up, Rachel Herzig, who for many years was responsible for all the things you saw that had of a kind look, stamp the on feel. them. The yeah. look, the feel. She was the of a kind art director. She made us so polished and like sexy and cool. And she also, uh, she's like worked across so many, you know, industries and in design. She's done fashion, food, advertising. But I have to say, I think my favorite fun fact about Rachel is that for years and years and years, she did all the drawings on the Chipotle brown bags. Incredible. With her own Absolutely two hands. Incredible. Just, Just what we were saying about like your, everybody interacts with design, like whether yes. or not they're thinking about it. And there's there's someone who's making those uh, who's putting a lot of thought into those illustrations and making those. Um, and who is it? It's Rachel. You can find her work at rachelherzig.design. Hi, Rachel. Hi, guys. How are you? Good. Good. We're so excited to talk to you um, and to see your face. I haven't gotten to see your face, and we obviously <laughs> had to spend like five minutes talking about your hair before this because heaven forbid we just, just <laughs> I know. let it go. <laughs> I feel like everyone has a new look when they're emerging from COVID and it's like, oh, you, you really did go for the long hair, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Some people have entirely new faces. (laughs) Respect. Are there illustration styles that you've been excited about lately? I feel like we had one really dominant illustration style for a while with these flat illustrations and it became so synonymous with the startup world that now there has to be some sort of a shift. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love to look at, it's nice that for illustrators, like new and upcoming illustrators and a lot of the trends I've been seeing and enjoying are like hyper-realistic illustrations. So like if it's a illustration of a peach, you can like see the fuzz and like the, like the droplets dripping down and those are sparkling in the sun. Like I love that. And I think it's really cool. Um, there's this girl named... Jai Yi Lee, who I love. And she, I've like changed all my backgrounds on my computers and phones and tablet to her illustration style. Cause it's just like, it's very intense. And I feel like all of the colors are overly saturated and kind of luminescent and just like glowing kind of, for instance, like, you know, the branding for Ken. Mm, yeah, yeah. 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 I think they kind of use that illustration style. And yeah. It's nice. It's a nice change. When you're thinking about incorporating illustrations that might be, you know, have a strong presence or colors that might be a strong presence. How do you think about incorporating those into design in thoughtful ways and, you know, playing with fonts and other elements in a way that's not overwhelming? 
Yeah. Well, I think when I'm approaching design, I think about first, what's the message that we're trying to say? Second, who's the audience? Third, how much do they know? And then after I've answered those three questions, I start the design and kind of fill in the holes. And then after those holes are filled in and I feel like the message is really being communicated, that's when I'll bring in like little touches of like color and what's the tone of this brand? What's the tone of this message? Is it fun? Is it serious? Is it educational? And that's where I'll start to use colors and elements and illustrations there where it's like, what do we need to bring in to really make this message feel like it's coming from the voice of who's speaking, whether it be a brand or I don't know, whatever piece of communication that you're working on. I love the how much do they know element of that process. Like what's the access point here? That just feels Mm -hmm. so important and like something that a lot of people maybe don't pay as much (laughs) attention to. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I guess sometimes when I'm working with clients, I like to try to say, you know, your viewer or your listener is a lot smarter than than you think your design needs to work. So like you don't always need maybe an arrow pointing to the next thing. They they know the interface or or whatever the medium is. They're they're pretty familiar with it because we're on our phones or digital communication every day. And and if it is something in the subway or somewhere that's in print, you think, okay, well, this person's standing here and they have a lot of time to really look at all these series of ads and figure it out and use the use the time that they have. And I just try to think about when that person would be viewing it and under what context. If someone's new to design and they're working with a designer, what are some basic sort of like ideas and concepts that are helpful to know and helpful to think about when providing feedback and when telling someone what you're looking for in design? That's a great question. I think just like don't edit yourself too much and and kind of say what you mean. You don't really have to make it articulate or in perfect design language at all. I think sometimes when people do that, you just kind of have to break it down and be like, no, 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 what's wrong here? Like what's feeling wrong to you? Why do you think this is wrong? And then I always just listen and hear. And then I think something important to remember when you're working with a designer is that they do this every day all the time for all these different people. And so when they come back and maybe push back a little bit and say, no, I hear you, but I think this might be right for these reasons. I would say, trust them. If you've already trusted them to kind of take your brand a little bit further, listen to these things that they're doing every day, just as like with anyone who's in a really good at their particular craft. How has the work of design shifted since you started working in design? Oh yeah. Well, I think when I was in school, we did a lot more hands-on drawing and designing and scanning things in and kind of using our hands a whole lot more. And I mean, in the past like few years, everything's like totally digital, which is great. Like I love using my tablet to draw, but it's not quite the same. You don't always get the same effect. And so I feel like everything's just moving completely digital, which has so many pros, but a lot of cons too, because you know, design just started with people setting things with their hands. So I think it's kind of crazy. One of my best friend's kids, they only color on the tablet. They don't get out paper and markers. They're just always coloring and drawing on the tablet. And and that's wild to me. No crayons, no, no different kinds of media is just all digital. And they'll sit there for hours and color on there. And they're like, I'm coloring. Because you can't yeah, draw yes. because <laughs> you can't draw on the wall with a stylus, and that's a huge win for a parent. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, no shame. That person's going to probably be so great at digital illustration in like three years, but it's just a wild toddler. Of it. Yeah. Are there things you wish you could change about the design world? Mm, I guess it's just kind of going back to that, that answer of like using things, using your hands more. Even when I'm working so fast, it's just a, a lot easier to do things digitally than to, you know, sit down and get out all my different markers and crayons or go out and shoot something or, you know, it's easier just to pull it off the internet. And I feel like I wish the craft was kind of built into it a little bit more. And we just kind of keep moving further and further away from it, which has also changed my life for the better. But I think it's kind of like, because everything's digital, it's so easy to undo things. And and you kind of just kind of work in this way that's like very, I guess, not as concrete as maybe you would 50 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. (laughs) It's like, because you can control Z on everything. Mm -hmm. Um, There is just, it's this like lack of permanence, um, which makes some of the decisions feel less solid maybe, or like, yeah. Or like, you know, there's sometimes a lot of value or a lot of beauty in the mistakes that you might erase. Yes. Yeah, exactly. This, all this talk about, you know, doing things by hand and the craft reminds me of something I learned about you recently, which is that you were interested in learning the art of sign painting. Oh yeah. 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 Can you talk to us a little bit about that and tell us how you got inspired? Uh, yes. So just through traveling, you know, you kind of in more historic countries and places that have been established a lot longer than the United States, you can kind of see how their like sign making and sign painting craftsmanship has been handed down through the years. And, and it's sometimes like, is just so beautiful to see it hand done and like it is really unique because it isn't digital and it isn't something that's like made uniform and and can be really funny and really beautiful and really like, I don't know, just fully moving. And I really wanted to learn it. It's actually like a very interesting thing to learn sign painting. It's, it's more of like teaching your hand these specific movements. It's not just kind of making it up as you go. And I really wanted to learn it and you can kind of apprentice with with older people. And I started going to Mexico city a lot, a couple of years ago and, and everything sign painted there, all of their food cards, all of their different signage. And it's really cool. And it has a really cool illustration style that goes with it. So I just wanted to kind of move to Mexico for a year to learn Spanish as a challenge and also apprentice with someone to do it. And that's like a, a dream that I have not fulfilled thanks to COVID, but it is, it is something that's really exciting. And I've made a few friends there who know people that teach people. So I love, I, this, I love this dream. Me I'm too. invested in this dream. Like, can I borrow this dream? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely want to be respectful of their culture and not, not take it, but just learn from it. And yeah. I think it'd be really exciting and fun. Even if it's just a fun challenge for, to kind of get back to using my hands, it'd be great. Rachel, this is amazing. Thank you so much Truly for doing wonderful. this. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Rachel kind of makes me... Well, a lot of people make me wish that I had just gotten trained as a designer. But I do feel like listening to Rachel reminded me that... Do you remember when we graduated and we went to University of Chicago and everybody studied econ and then became an iBanker? And we were like, why didn't 
somebody tell us that we should have just done that as if nobody had told us. And we were like, that's where People all the money is. People told us for like years. Yeah. <laughs> we and we were like, do that, that's where all the money is. Why aren't we bankers? Like, you know, and we're toiling away at this startup. And now actually I just feel like everybody need, should have just gotten trained as a graphic designer because there's so much work to be had as a graphic designer. The demand like, is high. I just, the demand is extremely high. You will never be out of work as a graphic designer. Like there's just so much need for it. And yeah, I think that'll be my second career, I guess. Well, I think there's also just like that expectation at this point that everything will be at least moderately good looking. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like that if you're going to like share a stat on Instagram, that it's going to be in a pretty color and a nice font. And that if you're going to like present a deck at a team meeting, that it's like, you know, it's not going to like look like it was designed in kid pics. Yes. Um, no offense <laughs> to kid pics. No, absolutely no offense. And, and um, to be fair, kid pics is like a style that some people are going for now. So. And it has like its own like web-based thing yes. back again. I mean, listen, again, no offense. It's just not as professional as some like vibes. That's right. And if a professional vibe is something you're going for, may we remind you that Projector exists. Our third guest, mm-hmm. very thrillingly, Please. Way more advanced than kid picks. Andrew Quo, wow, do we love all the things this guy does. So he I is I think you meant to say wow, 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 wow for I him. Did. You're right. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> sent us kind of a, a mean email once at like a listener critique. Oh, that something. was like, as you would say, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> like incredible. this was fucked. It was, I totally yeah. <laughs> forgot to laugh about it until now because the thing is that she was right and I felt bad for the thing that she was giving us a hard time about. But now that it's been a while, I can laugh about the fact that she was like, as you would say, wow, 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 wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad that I remembered that. Okay. <laughs> so wow, wow, wow. Andrew Quo. He is known for so many things. It is truly like awe-inspiring. So he has a really popular basketball podcast called Cookies Hoops that Chris listens to so much. He also has an incredibly popular meme Instagram account called Earl Boykins, which A, is only kind of still alive. Like it's gotten shut down too many times. And it's also kind of only kind of memes. It's just like funny photographs for the most part. Lots of cats. He has, he does incredible, beautiful visual art, like paintings, mostly these large scale paintings, which are often shown at gallery shows. And then he does these beautiful charts and infographics that are really actually art. Um, And and they are also like functional charts, but um, he gets commissioned to do these, I think, more for just than being good at communicating information, but for really, I mean, and and he does that, but also because he's so thoughtful about the design and, and art aspect of these things. So excited to talk to him. You can find his work on Instagram at Andrew Quo Studio. Hi, Andrew. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a thrill. Oh, it's a thrill for us. It's truly nice. a thrill for us. <laughs> so you spend most of your time painting, but I would say you're known also for your basketball podcast sure. for your meme Instagram account <laughs> memeish right, right. memeish yeah <laughs> and for your charts mm-hmm. and for your merch mm-hmm. right yes stuff that doesn't kind of exist in my studio and get like shuffled off into another person's house and never to be seen again <laughs> but yeah i mean mostly it's funny because all that stuff you mentioned is stuff that exists online and you can see it pretty easily. And that stuff is very exciting to me because, you know, you post it and then it's the podcast is up to be listened to or you can look at a, a, a blog post. This is Internet 101 stuff, I guess. But yeah, it's appealing for me because in my studio, I don't really get to share that much. 
I love that. So can we talk a little bit about charts and infographics in general? It, it feels like they've had, they've really gotten a new lease on life in the last, let's say, decade. Why do you think they've started to play such a big role in the way we communicate ideas? I, I think it's technology. I'm not sure. And you're right. Like it is cycled through almost, it was a big thing in the aughts and then it became exhausting. And then it came back again and it became exhausting again. And I think it's just becoming an easy way to tell a story and maybe like a, a, a fun way to do it, especially when we're dealing, unfortunately, with like a lot of data out there around pandemics and recessions and health and all these things that have to be seen in another way to try to tell the same story. What makes for a good chart or infographic? Oh, my God. A good, I, I don't want to say story again, but like a good hook. There has to be, um, I call it a joke. There has to be a joke in there, something that's unexpected. Because if you just show somebody how many slices of pizza you've eaten in a year, it's interesting because pizza is fascinating. But uh, it only becomes funny if there's a little kicker in it. It's like, as opposed to, I don't know, tacos, you know, like something like that. <laughs> when you're thinking about visualizing data, are there any rules or tips or tricks that you swear by? Because there, how many times have like we all looked at charts and been like, wait, mm. this is like, this is so convoluted. They are not making their point. Like it's not coming through. I, I'm a simple and bold guy, but then a lot of times my boredom takes over and then they become complicated because I feel like they have to be nice looking. And that's always a conflict I have personally. And people who make charts for a living always bristle against the way I make them because sometimes the things I make don't quite make sense. And they ask a lot of uh, the viewer to imagine like if it was actually three-dimensional or imagine a different spatial plane. But to me, I think one thing has to work, whether that be a, a nice color or a, a good string of words. Just one thing has to set the thing off. And then you can kind of do whatever you want from there. When you're faced with that data set, do you have a sort of process for how you start? Like, are you deciding first what type of a chart it will be? Or are you deciding what colors you're going to use? For sure. Uh, there's only a handful of ways to like kind of begin these things. And I just follow... Uh, certain rules, like am I pitting something against each other? Am I comparing how much something is, you know, like volume? And then I personally have certain tendencies that I can't run away from. Like I love, I love pastel colors. I love blue. I like bright. I love yellow, yellow and gray, you know, like uh, I forgot who called that combination, the color of the year, but like, I really love equal values and then something darker color values. And I kind of just ride with one thing, whether it be a color or uh, like one piece of data that I find to be interesting. And then you kind of just circle that over and over. Do you bristle at the word infographic? Are you like, I only do charts. I would never do an infographic. Does like, or are you, are you Is fine there terminology you yeah. feel good about or bad about? I know exactly what you guys are talking about, but it doesn't bother me at all. Okay. It used to bother me, but I'm old and washed. So all that stuff <laughs> just... People being interested in all this stuff is exciting for me, but I used to bristle at the idea of design versus art, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think in your teens and your early 20s, it's your obligation to figure that out for yourself. But 
then you get older and you realize all that stuff kind of doesn't matter as much as it does. And, you know, when I make these as paintings with acrylic paint and brushes that I have to wash out with water and, you know, it's a completely different experience. I started making the paintings first and they were a reaction to like abstract minimalism and the old greats. And how do we take that thing and change it? So I started combining it with the words and kind of making the abstractions, this is pretentious, making the abstractions figurative, where they followed certain rules. So it wasn't, and I mean, abstraction is not arbitrary, but it wasn't a placement of a data point that was expressive. It was subjective. It followed a set of like strict rules. And if you break the rule, the painting doesn't work anymore. So that was exciting to me. Why do you think that there started to be more of this interest in charts as an art form versus charts just for the sake of communication? It has to be screens, right? Like, that's a great question. I don't know, but my guess would be technology and screens. Um, smartphones, the size of a readable image on a smartphone, our predilection to like, I mean, Instagram is not to be underrated here. I think it has taught us a new way to uh, take in information. And that's an understatement, but I think it definitely has influenced the the chart infographic world. So if someone had a piece of information and lived on Instagram, uh, I see some people writing it and posting it as image, but then people do that wonderful thing of like, well, how can I say that with an image or how do I say that with colors and to try to get those likes, you know? And uh, I think it's a, it's not as sinister as I think I hear some people talk about it as like, Approval is nice. Having people like your image is nice. And looking for more of those likes is like How incentive. has Instagram influenced your work more generally? Because you you have like this humor account that doesn't seem to take design into account in a big way. And and even your your charts don't feel like they're made with Instagram in mind necessarily in the way that so many you know charts and infographics are. And so it's like interesting to me to hear you talk about how much you love Instagram and and like all of the good things about it because it's obvious that it plays a big role in your life. But if I just went to one of your gallery shows, I wouldn't be like, I see Instagram all over this. Yeah, I, I feel like I don't do any favors for myself because it is hard to read on Instagram. The type is too small. The colors work fine. It's not optimized for that dimension either. And scale is a big deal to me in making paintings. It has its own kind of story to run with when you make a small painting or a huge, huge painting that takes us up, up a size of a wall. And yeah, I don't think I'm good at Instagram. The humor site you're mentioning is Earl Boykins. And it had, I think at its peak, it had 300,000 followers. And this is right in the beginning. And I made the mistake by thinking Instagram was just going to be a fun tool for everybody. Same with Twitter. I was like, oh, this is going to be a place for jokes. <laughs> When it first started, or Instagram is going they say they want me to put filters on everything, but this is where people will laugh. And I was wrong about both things. So when I started Earl Boykins, it was a way for me to just dump all these uh, animal photos I had been saving on my phone, other people's photos, and they took it down because of copyright stuff. I think if five people complain, then they just remove it and you're done. So I started it again, Earl Boykins 2. And there's a few copycat sites and I really love them. But I think that kind of site has also evolved into something that's more complicated than it was 
15 years ago, 10 years ago with authorship and all that stuff. And we have somehow like we always zap the fun out of a lot of things. And I think Instagram and Twitter and Facebook were destined to be serious places, but it's unfortunate that there's no like fun version of that, that you can just reside in. I'm trained as like a, a painter. I went to art school. So my first instinct is always to make a painting that hangs on a wall and then reformatting it to something like Instagram is a challenge that I have not figured out yet. Yet you have managed to like leverage Instagram for your career, I think somehow, because you are good oh, at it, just maybe for, not good at it for your arts or your arts not right for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's not right for it. I have definitely... I love Instagram and I, I definitely have aggressively tried to use it to like connect with people. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I was so late in starting my own personal art Instagram because I was so concentrated on these joke sites. I have like sites that I post pictures of that I don't tell anybody I do. It's like, it's a really nice exercise in my day to just post photos and um, not have anybody look at them. Even uh, using Instagram is kind of like, a cup of tea or a tool to get you through like a uh, uh, thinking during the day. I love that. But, I'm um, so inspired. I'm like, <laughs> so this is good. the first argument I've ever heard for Instagram that didn't make me feel like I need to delete it permanently. Um, you just need to I'm like, I just need to account. reframe it. Yeah. 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 I need yeah. to reframe my relationship with it. Wow. I think they give you five accounts. Maybe it's more now. So I just like gobbled up that limit and I just post to a few I do this dumb thing. It's hard to find, but I, I take screenshots of art that's hanging in real estate listings <laughs> and I just post them on an Instagram. So there's like, whether it be like generic digitally placed art or like an artist you love, you know, and I just hunt for these images on Street Easy and Zillow. And I just post them to an account just to like get my brain going. It's like a meditative cleanse. Yeah. A little bit. Like it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of fun. It's sort of like playing Angry Birds on your phone or something just to like get your brain going. Before we go, can we talk really quickly or, or, or not quickly about um, your merch? Cause oh, yeah. you design merch too. Can you tell us a little bit about I it? I love merch. I, I was joking with one of my friends, like I've been doing Basically, I'm a grown-up version of my 13-year-old self. Like I used to, or 14 or 15, I used to go to shows and like paint little t-shirts of the bands I was going to see. And I would wear like the, the painted t-shirt of the band. And I was just so excited about that stuff. And it is related to Instagram decades later because the challenge with t-shirts is the best, right? It has to be immediately understandable, eye-catching, kind of have a timeless quality to it, be funny and serious and cool all in one second. They're also worth nothing, right? Even the most expensive t-shirt, I don't know, in a thrift shop is a couple hundred bucks. The most expensive painting in someone's studio is not a couple hundred bucks. So, <laughs> and there's kind of no difference sometimes, sometimes. And I think a good t-shirt is like the ultimate <laughs> chase. What makes good merch design? Oh, man. For me, and I'm a Gen Xer, but it has to have like a slacker quality to it. it has to the idea has to feel fast, right? And mm. I think it has to be like a 50-50 like saturation or like an image to white space. It has to 
be somewhat large. Like I don't like the hard rock cafe logos. They're too small for my taste. Um, I love all the Simpsons bootlegs because they're kind of large. All cartoons work like Kim Jones and Iceberg. Like that was like my favorite with the huge Donald Ducks and the huge Mickey Mouses. And uh, I think he struck gold with that kind of image. That's what works for me. I think like rave, rap, and rave, rap, and basketball, like those, those aesthetics really get me going. I love this. Andrew, um, thank you so much for all of this. This was amazing. Oh, thank You're, you for having you've, me. Like Truly. gotten our wheels turning in a big way, oh, as I'm sure yeah. you can Likewise. tell. I've gotten so much out of this, so Me much too. out of this, right? Like, yeah, I, as I said, primarily uh, a desire to just upend my life and become a designer. I mean, I love it for you. I love it for you. <laughs> Will you miss if, me? Uh, we'll still course, work well, together. We're, yeah, you're just going to have to take on a lot more design things. <laughs> we're just not going to outsource those things or like cobble them together. You know? We can outsource some of the, the less fun stuff that I do. That's Someone right. else can answer emails for me. Perfect. Perfect. That's <laughs> yeah. the dream. If this makes you want to make something, check out our friends at Projector at projector.com slash a thing or two. It is very, very cool. And we get lots of DMs from people asking for being reminded of the name. So that's how you know. That's true. We do get so many people emailing or DMing being like, what was that design thing you talked about? Because The one it, that's free? Because <laughs> turns out also everybody needs it eventually. And you will too, even if you don't realize it right now. Thank you to Projector for making this and so many of our episodes possible. We truly heart you. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media, and we are so, so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us to make this podcast happen, especially our outstanding producer, Brian Peoples. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two HQ.com. If you love our show, consider supporting it by signing up for Secret Menu at, you guessed it, a thing or two HQ.com.